Hi, welcome back to the next episode. I'm your host, David Clark, and welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to some of the leading minds in wealth management. In this episode, I'm speaking with Ben McCary, the portfolio manager and founder of Totus Capital, an investment manager that has returned an annualized return of over 21% net of fees and charges since their inception in 2012. Ben's had a background with UBS Australia, Morgan Stanley in London, is originally a chartered accountant. I think you'll really enjoy hearing from Ben his ideas and particularly the themes he pursues and the way he and his team go about investing money. I hope you enjoy. Of course, please please send me your feedback and or suggestions. I'd really appreciate those. Thanks a lot and enjoy. Welcome, Ben. Welcome to Inside of the Rope. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Ben, if you could start off just giving our listeners a bit of understanding of your background and some of your key influences, if you could, please. Okay. Uh, I was a chartered accountant by training. I started out with PricewaterhouseCoopers back in uh, 1997. Um, Got a great background in bottom-up company uh, analysis and exposure, but, but chartered accounting was a, a terrible place to, uh, to um, for somebody who loved investing. I, I'd been a, um, a keen amateur investor at university, um, realised that that was where I wanted to um, take my career. And after I qualified as a chartered accountant with Pricewaterhouse um, in 1999, I took the chance to go across to London and got a job doing um, equity sell-side research with Morgan Stanley, uh, covering building materials and uh, European construction stocks, uh, where I stayed for four years. And that was uh, an incredibly um, uh, good experience during the, the dot-com uh, bust to see uh, uh, you know, some of the um, excesses in the market and how they can wash out you know, over time but also to get exposure to some really good investors um, and some, some really uh, large, um, high-quality industrial businesses in the, in the construction and building material space over there. So spent four years um, with Morgan Stanley in London and then came back to Australia in 2004 and worked with UBS doing uh, initially building materials but then emerging companies research, uh, which is where I got my first break in the industry covering a stock called ABC Learning. Uh, that was the first emerging company I covered and uh, had the good fortune to identify some issues with that business, uh, which which uh, became, you know, a stepping stone in my career. Sure, um, it, I think it was Eddie Groves, and that company is no longer around. Mm. But tell us some of the things you took out of that process and that learning, and how that shaped your thinking now. Okay, so the, the really interesting thing about ABC Learning was that it was a stock that. Um, the market had sort of fallen in love with. Uh, we hadn't seen a lot of um, roll-ups or, or um, childcare businesses listed, uh, either in Australia or offshore. Uh, and as a as a new analyst to the stock, I wanted to um, to get to um, you know understand it. So I took took it back to basics and and modelled the thing um, centre by centre. Uh, looked at the capex that they were spending, and the, the narrative that the company was saying was that um, that. Um, they could add a lot more value as a corporate operator than the mum and dads who, who were, were operating these businesses and that with a, a little bit of investment of um, paint, uh, refreshment, of toys, etc., that they could get occupancy up and that there'd be this big growth story. Now, when I looked at the numbers, 
the numbers were telling me a totally different story. They were, I could see declining returns, I could see rising debt levels. And the big red flag was that when I tried to triangulate what the, the net debt should have been, and you know when a company reports at 30 June and 31 December what their net debt levels are, you, you can have a good idea of where it should be in between those periods. And Eddie was buying a lot of businesses, turning over um, his book and raising money. And every time he would buy something and, and give the market a data point on where his debt was, it was always higher than it should have been, significantly higher. So getting to the bottom of that um, was uh, quite an experience. And I, I put the learnings from that, um, from that work into a report called Accounting Issues. Got a huge amount of attention from the holders of the stock. Uh, but also uh, long short funds. And on the back of that, I got hired by one of the, the large holders, Osbil Dexia, um, and, and I was able to convince them to sell out of the stock 28 million shares at $7.35. Um, and then the stock less than 12 months later went bust. So what I learned from that was that um, where you've got a mismatch between what the, the, the market has bought into, the narrative and the actual numbers of the stock, uh, that, that, that a company is reporting, that there's often, um, that's worth digging into and there's a, a, a potential for significant alpha generation where there is a mismatch. Um, and what we had with ABC Learning was a, the setup was that um, the, the sell side was universally positive on that stock because they were a big customer of the investment banks, always raising money, always doing deals. So nobody had a negative recommendation. And we've seen that time and time again with stocks like Valiant Pharmaceuticals, Slater and Gordon, where the market has got really um, carried away with the story. There's no negative research. There's very low short interest. And, but but there's something hasn't gelled. You know, we don't see these kind of businesses rolled up um, internationally. You don't see listed law firms um, being successful around the world. Why is that? Why don't we see listed childcare companies being successful around the world? Because some of these businesses don't scale up very well. And often there's an opportunity when you step back, think about things logically, do the bottom up work. And we've been able to generate significant um, absolute returns by, by taking on those kind of businesses and doing our own work. So that sounds like it's been a major influence. What other people or situations have been major influences on your investment approach now? Look, um, I was lucky enough on the sell side to have some um, some good uh, mentors um, and bosses early on. Owen Evans was one of the better small cap um, analysts in his time. Um, I had the ability to, to talk to you know many different fund styles, buy and hold funds, um, growth funds, value funds. And what I realized was that um, all of these strategies worked at certain times in the market, but not all the time. And that our industry is very cyclical and you want to be able to um, invest through the cycle, not just make good money in a bull market, but also protect capital in a bear market. And so I was trying to um, pick up from each of these different you know, managers and, and um, uh, people I was working with, what are the bits that are going to work best with my personality and how are we going to be able to protect capital in down markets and grow it in, in, in good markets? So what I came up with was um, a, a strategy that was agnostic to um, a, a, any particular style, growth, value, buy and hold. But what we were going to look for was businesses that were doing well um, because of some medium to long term structural tailwind and where we see the numbers lining up and telling us the same story as the theme that we're trying to get exposure to. And conversely, we're, we're spending as much time looking for good businesses that are compounding and, and growing. We're, we're spending an equal 
amount of time looking for lower quality businesses that have got headwinds where there's a potential for the share price to go down. And if we could build a portfolio of these good businesses spitting out cash with tailwinds and uh, um, balanced out by a portfolio of, of lower quality businesses that were experiencing challenges, then we have a good chance of delivering decent returns over the medium term. And, and the fund's been going uh, almost six years now, and that's been pretty much the experience. That leads us into, I guess, why did you set up TOTUS Capital and when and how? Can you talk us through that process, yeah. please? So, um, look, coming out of, uh, I think I'd always had a, um, a career ambition to, you know, to, to run money. Um, I'd been looking after a portfolio for four and a half years, uh, which used the, the, the same philosophy, which was let's ignore an index. Uh, let's find the best companies we can find with the exposure to uh, medium to long-term tailwinds. And let's focus our research uh, in that area and hopefully we can generate some absolute returns. And that, that portfolio did about 23% per year for that four and a half years and it included the financial crisis. So I realised um, and some of the best returns were made post the financial crisis as things had been very oversold. So it taught me the value of being able to protect capital in a volatile market and the, the, the money that you can make um, post uh, a crisis. Um, so so I, I just wanted to open up that um, strategy to other investors and I'd hoped that um, if we could continue to do what I'd done over those four and a half years that we'd find enough investors to, um, you know, to earn a living. And, you know, we've been able to do that um, and then some. I think the fund is, um, you know, annualising about 22% after fees for that five and a half years. Uh, we've been able to deliver um, decent returns in good markets and bad. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that's basically... So if I'm right, you started in April 2012. Yep. Um, where did most of the capital come from for that to start? Initially, yeah, I was the largest investor. I had three um, other investors, people that I'd worked with. Um, I was in some shared office space at the time. Um, Friends, was, family. Yeah. Um, people that had, you know, some of them had had some... Um, experience with the ABC Learning Call, realised that I was doing something that was a little bit different, a little bit hard for them to do. So gain access to um, you know, make money out of lower quality companies that are going down and not just good quality companies that are going up. Um, and, and, you know, over the next uh, three or four years, we were able to deliver, you know, good returns. We've, we've built out the team significantly. Um, you know, in those six years, there's now three of us full time on, on research, uh, um, all senior experienced people um, yeah so it, it's been a bit of word of mouth performance driven we've only uh, uh, growth I suppose we've had Andrew Aitken join us from Benelong in October last year which is um, I suppose been a, a step change in the business which has allowed me to re-engage um, even more with the portfolio so many of that sort of um, those other administrative allows you, duties. Allows you to manage the money than rather than manage the company and the exactly. distribution. Exactly. Um, 2016, you had a bit of a speed bump. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you learnt in that process and or you know, just talk to that? Yeah. Look, I, I think um, this process is, um, we're always going to have a, a down year um, every uh, now and then. Now, now, my hope is that that's a, a once a decade or, or once every half a decade kind of um, experience. But, but I think it was a function of... Um, a couple of things. One was that 2015 was a massive year for us. We did 55%. And what happens after 
um, you do 55% in, in a year is that your longs have gone up a long way and your shorts have gone down a long way. So there is some kind of, there is an elastic band effect. Um, we probably needed to be um, a little bit more diligent in taking profits um, after a run like that. And that's certainly something we've tried to um, uh, be cognizant of at all times over the last two years. Uh, we also put in some um, much better uh, monitoring um, processes within the business, um, some, some broad limits around themes. Uh, we'd always had limits at individual stock levels, but we're, we think we're doing a much better job of monitoring the correlation between individual stocks and themes, um, and that's giving us um, um, you know, a better um, comfort that, that when things get to extremes like they did back in 2016, that, that we're not uh, positioned too far you know, one way or the other. So, correct me if I'm wrong here, as the way you're set up now at Totus Capital is that you're managing about 70% of the portfolio and the exposure is to a uh, long, uh, well, to Australian equities, about 30% to international equities and predominantly US. Um, and and you're, you're looking to make profits out of both long buying and holding, which our listeners uh, familiar with, but also out of shorting. But you're also very theme focused. Can you talk to us about why your theme focus and, well, and how you play that out? Yeah, look, the theme is just a, simply a way for us to screen out the market noise. You know, we're a small investment team, three of us full time. Um, we can't cover everything in the market. So looking for a medium to long term trend like an aging population or the internet taking share of traditional uh, bricks and mortar businesses is a good way of, of getting us to focus on a particular industry or group of companies and getting uh, to know more about uh, that than the general market does. Um, so it, then we get to use our bottom-up stock picking skills, you know, the basic um, accounting skills that, that, that I learned years ago and as a, as a single stock analyst, you know, are the earnings um, telling us the same story as the top-down? What is the quality of the, these earnings? You know, are, are there lots of one-off adjustments? Um, are we seeing improving returns or declining returns? Are we seeing this company fund itself internally or are they reliant on external markets to fund themselves? All of that basic stuff. So the, the theme gives us a context and a way to focus our research and then we the bottom-up stock picking uh, comes in then. And I think in that instance, you're very fundamental, almost Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, cash focused, balance sheet focused, um, and, and back to basics. Uh, talk to us a little bit about some of the themes you've got in the portfolio at the moment. Okay. Look, um, I've mentioned two already, which were the um, aging population and the bricks to clicks. Um, some of the ones that your listeners might not be as familiar with, uh, uh, one of the you know, traditional buckets um, that, that short sellers have done well out, out of over the years um, has been a, um, a group of companies that we call fads, frauds and failures. Um, you'll always find these pockets of um, exuberance in the market, in, in any bull or bear market, where the market has got carried away with a particular story or stock. Um, we've found that we've been able to generate really good returns out of um, those types of companies over the years, and they tend to not be correlated. Uh, you, you, they might cost the portfolio a few basis points um, every quarter, but then the payoff is quite big and it can happen quite quickly. So we've seen that happen with um, Quintus, which was the old TFS of Sandalwood producer last year. Um, it looks like we're seeing that in progress with GetSwift, uh, I want a, a tech startup that uh, 
attained a 700 million market cap on the ASX this year. So um, there's a few different buckets. Uh, so, so talk us through something like TFS for the benefit of our readers. What alerted you to it and how did you work through that process and how did you profit from it? Yeah, and it, it, TFS is an interesting one. It was a sandalwood producer. Um, so this is trees, forestry, harvesting. But, yeah, that's but, but right. They, they, on, they, they want the oil to produce perfume or something, is it right? Yeah, it, it was based up in Kununurra, um, a, a plantation um, grower. And it, it, what was interesting to me was that everything, every other company um, in the space in Australia had gone bust. So um, a previous employer had owned a fair bit of um, an investment in guns, which, which he learned the hard way was a difficult way you know, to make money. Um, and a lot of these businesses were tax-driven um, schemes. So they would, uh, people would buy into the plantations, get a tax discount up front. And the hope was that you could eventually sell um, the, the timber or whatever you were, were growing and, and uh, make a, a decent return over a 10, 20 year time frame. Everything else in the space had gone bust and TFS was the sort of last one standing. And the reason why they, they were sta still standing is that they told, told the market a story about long-term secular growth, that this, this sandalwood was going to be um, the cure for acne. It was, um, you know, it had incredible uses in Chinese furniture and um, all sorts of weird and wonderful things, and the market had bought into it. So they, they had uh, raised a huge amount of money. Um, so it looked odd to us in that it was the last one standing. And then when we looked at the actual numbers of the company, it was extremely um, um, reliant on external funding to, to grow. Um, they, they raised money from the market, both debt and equity, um, a couple of times per year. Um, and the, the numbers just told bared no resemblance to what the company was telling the market. So that, that got it on the radar. Um, it took almost three years for the, um, uh, for the short to play out, but it contributed about 3% of our performance in 2017 when um, a US short seller called Glaucus highlighted some issues with the company. Um, it then focused the, the market on it and the ASX and uh, through you know, what will probably make a, a great book one day, uh, uh, the, the, the stock finally went into administration in, in January. So they're interesting. There's, there's soap opera kind of stories. Um, we like to um, you know follow those as, as closely as we can, and they can they can generally be the icing on the cake for a performance in any particular year. But you don't necessarily know when they're going to play out. Do you get much heat from uh, people within the company uh, when you call out these companies, or it becomes obvious to the market that you have that view? Um, from time to time, yeah, we'll get told that you know we're, we're wrong and 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 um, you know this is why and and being able to um, you know channel check or test our our thesis against you know people that are close to the company or the company itself is a big part of the process. So we want to know what the people who disagree with us are thinking. Um, you know, sometimes it can cut off our access um, to to the company, but but generally um, the numbers you know don't lie, and that's that's our source of truth. You know, if you have it, so. Um, look, and in, in terms of something like TFS, um, we, you know, we think it's a, a good thing that they're not out raising money from you know mum and dad retirees to fund you know uh, um, tree growth in Kununurra that we didn't think there was any end market for you know at the end of the day. So look, somebody had to highlight it. It turned out it was the Glaucus guys from from WA, but we've used that, um, our work on that company to protect capital for our investors, um, uh, and that's our job.
Getting a little bit more specific here on the electric vehicles is one of the themes that you have. Can you talk to us how you're investing into that theme? Yeah, look, that's an interesting one because we're not the kind of fund that's going to be um, the first to an electric vehicle theme and invest 10 or 15 years before it takes off uh, and make you know a thousand percent return. We, we had noticed that um, whether it's um, uranium or rare earths or um, uh, potash or uh, mineral sands that from time to time, the market gets very carried away with a particular theme. Now, the electric vehicle theme, we think there's some substance too. You can see the, the major uh, vehicle manufacturers are, are investing heavily in that. Um, so we we weren't one to invest early, but we did see that some uh, many of these companies are now pricing in um, extremely good outcomes um, for in, in terms of both volume and price. And I'm talking about the lithium and the graphite producers, and there's been all sorts of promoters that have come out with marginal projects who are, who are uh, predicting you know, immense returns for investors that come in now. Now, we, we don't think that's gonna um, be a straight line and that many of these things are gonna, as we've seen in other booms and busts, um, are gonna um, find their way you know, uh, in, into trouble over time. So we've got a, a, a selection of longs and shorts in that theme. Uh, we're short some of the, um, the, the producers um, and promoters in the um, development part of the market in um, lithium and um, graphite. And we, um, so we, sh we have some shorts and we're also short in a small way Tesla, which is um, I suppose the poster child for the EV boom, but is a very um, loss making and cash consumptive company. Uh, on the long side against that, we own a couple of nickel producers, which is nickel is also a, um, an ingredient or a key component of, of um, lithium batteries. And what we've seen in those um, nickel producers is that the nickel price has been going down for a number of years. It's a later cycle, but the, the companies that we own in that space, Western Areas and uh, Independence Group, have um, cash generative core businesses um, that will survive and thrive even without the EV boom. So that we think that the EV boom is, is um, blue sky or upside to the share prices of those companies. And we think a lot of the blue sky has been priced in on the shorts, you know, on, the, on the companies that were short in those um, companies like um, Sara and Pilbara uh, on the graphite and uh, lithium side. Some of the other themes you're running at the moment around uh, aging population, um, and national broadband. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about those two? Yeah, look, um, aging population kind of, um, you know, speaks for itself. There's, there's been, a, um, people are getting older, they're living longer, uh, they're requiring more medical care. There's a, a range of industries that are, are doing well out of that, whether it's a challenger um, in the financial services area that is uh, benefiting from um, people moving to annuities in, as, they, as the baby boomers retire, or there's aged care operators um, that look after people uh, in the very last stages of life, or you've got um, well-run businesses like Ramsey Healthcare, which are which are in the um, you know in the sweet spot of that of that theme. So there's all sorts of different ways to play it. But we found that the market is sort of uh, sometimes gets. Um, that, that theme is quite mature. So there's some of these companies, it's been well understood in them and the numbers are starting to deteriorate or not quite as good as they were and the people have bought into these things for the theme. So Ramsey is a stock that we had owned for a long time. We've noticed that the earnings have started to, um, the quality has started to deteriorate in the earnings and we've gone from being long that stock to, to short. Um, 
kind of companies that we still like in that space are things like Medibank Private. Now there's um, some debate about what uh, the opposition might do if they got into government around premium uh, price increases, but we think it is an essential um, service for the, for the country and that the alignment of the health insurers and the government is much better than the alignment of the private hospital operators and the government. So we'll look at, at the current volatility in a Medibank Private as potentially a buying opportunity. And um, you know we think that there's potentially some um, speed bumps for, for the likes of Ramsey down the track. Um, the National Broadband Network, um, that's been a, a massive disruption to, to the telco industry. Um, you've had all sorts of companies like Vocus, TPG, uh, that have, have had their business models disrupted by um, this, um, you know, our second biggest ever infrastructure project. And um, we just think that um, there is, uh, so you've got structural change in the broadband market, which has meant that some of the existing players are having to move into other markets like mobile, which is having a knock-on effect for the, for the companies like Telstra, which is where mobile has been a very big generator of growth and profit for these companies. So it's an industry that's in transition and there's a lot of turmoil. And what we're in is a, in a land grab rather than a profit-making phase. And, and that can, uh, you know, from our research, it looks like it could last more than a, well more than 12 months and it might be a two or three year process. So. Um, we're short a, a range of companies in that space um, until that land grab is over and people can, those companies can get back to making profits rather than trying to acquire customers. Just helicoptering back up again, mm. talking more about the process and the people. Um, Totus Capital, you're si still a significant investor in the fund, I believe. Yeah, I'm the second largest investor um, and have been almost all, all the way through. Clients love hearing that you're alongside them, so that's terrific. Um, what, what does the future, do you think, of the firm look like? I think uh, your, your investor base at the moment is largely high net worth individual. Um, what, what do you think the growth looks like? Look, we're, we're, and, and what do you want? Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a great question uh, because, um, yeah, be careful, you know, what you wish for. I've seen sort of people in my industry 10 or 15 years ahead of me and, um, and a lot of them... Um, you know, have given me the advice that you're better off uh, staying um, small, nimble, focus on performance, and unless you want to run a team of 20 or 30 people, um, you, you really have to um, have a good think about what, what your capacity is. So we've come up with the number of a, a 400 million US as, as a, a sweet spot for our capacity. We're um, not quite 25% of the way there. Um, what we're trying to build is a small team of experienced people that between us can work out how to generate absolute returns, whether it's a bull market or a bear market. Um, we've, you know, as a business, uh, the vast bulk of our revenues um, over the last six years have come through performance fees. So performance is really what, is, what has got the business this far, and that's what we're keen to maintain um, in our DNA. So we're not an asset gathering firm. We have three people in research. We have one person part-time in, in distribution. Um, so we're, we're a research stock-picking fund focused on performance rather than asset gathering. And what do you think, what, what are the biggest mistakes you have seen investors make, all the most common mistakes, particularly retail-type individuals? Um, look, I think, um, yeah, expecting too much too soon, uh, failing to take... Um, you know, a slightly longer term view. Uh, the, you know, as you mentioned before, uh, two of our um, big influences on the long side have been Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. I just read the, the Charlie Munger damn right um, biography over Christmas and 
what the key thing that they've had is common sense, um, integrity, and a long-term time horizon. Another um, company that is showing again and again uh, the benefits of a long-term time horizon is is Amazon with Jeff Bezos, and um, that is um, a significant holding um, in our portfolio. So, if you can take um, your time horizon from a uh, a one-year, three-year uh, view through to a five to ten to twenty-year time horizon, there there is a step change in what you can achieve as both um, you know in both in business, but also as an investor. So, I think. Um, matching temperament and time horizon to your investments is, is very important. And Totus Capital, where did the name come from? Look, it's a, a tricky one. I mean, a lot of the really cool um, Greek and Roman god names have been taken <laughs> up by, by 2012. But, but Totus um, is, uh, it does mean something. It, it's, a Latin, it's a Latin word that uh, has a couple of meanings, absolute, the whole or entire. Now we're, we're a long short fund. We can invest in companies or sell com shares in companies that we don't own, which is short selling. We can invest both in Australia or offshore. And we're not um, tied to a particular style of investing. We don't have to own only growth companies or only value companies. So, so TOTUS is a little bit about um, explains how we look at an investment, which is trying to look at it from as many different angles as, as we can. You know, do we trust the people that are running the companies that we were invested in? Um, you know, are there um, any um, red flags in terms of corporate governance or conflicts of interest that we should be aware of? You know, are the earnings um, going up or down? Are, are there, is the return profile um, improving or, or declining? So it's a, uh, um, we, we think it, it, it's uh, you know, reflective um, of our process to some extent. Ben, thank you very much for your time. Really enjoyed that. Thanks for joining us Inside the Road. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.